the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. I'm Rob Black talking money, investing, and more. Holy mackerel, how the time flies, right? Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway lost $4 billion in a single day on the Kraft Heinz plunge. His annual letter to shareholders comes out tomorrow, Saturday. I love Warren Buffett. He's kind of a grandfather who I never had. My dad was an orphan, and my other grandfather died in a war before I ever had a chance to even possibly meet him. Um, with that out there, Warren Buffett's like a grandfather. What I'm getting at here is, is he's cool and he's calming. He's going to say tomorrow, am I happy about losing $4 billion in a day on Heinz? Back no. And he'll tell you why he's positive. Um, or he'll you know, be honest and maybe he'll be quiet because he wants to get out of the position and sell it. Um, so one of the things I like is that, that annual letter to the shareholders. And it, some people used to buy Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway on the idea of I can go to the annual shareholder meeting. If I own one share, I can get in. And I, I get it. You know, um, earlier on in my, my financial career, I was like, he's old man Buffett. He didn't buy any tech stocks. And later on, I'm like, this is the greatest investor of all time because he focuses on cash flow. So if you get a tech company that's got good cash flow, Facebook and Amazon and Apple are three that come directly to mind. Um, you might be able to do okay with them. So in his letter to shareholders, you're looking for two or three things. You just want to take some things away. Um, and for the record, he's just fantastic. You know, 10 years ago, he's, he made a bet with a, a hedge fund manager. He says, I'll beat you over 10 years, and I'll just put my money in an index fund. And sure enough, he beat him. So one of the most widely read documents in the world is released tomorrow. And it's going to be a Warren Buffett's letter to shareholders. And in it, he's going to talk about probably his eventual retirement. He's 88 years old. Um, that's insane. You know, the presumption that it's insane and too old, it's, it's silly. It's been, you know, that way for years as we've been trying to figure out when will he retire. So we have, you know, tons of data on the guy. He likes cheap, safe, quality stocks more often than not. But again, he misses on occasion. So he's looking for below average volatility. He doesn't like the drama. So every now and then I'll talk about, you know, save the drama for Linz or Lama. Um, those are the stocks that you kind of want to sometimes avoid. He looks for low price to book ratios. Um, so ultimately, one of the things we're going to look for is when will he retire? And does he still feel comfortable doing what he's doing? He may say, like, hey, I got to cut my days down. 
but he's the Oracle of Omaha and he's the only guru or Buddha I want you to have. And then fill in everything else with your own beliefs. But when he talks, listen, don't do something from it, but listen, size matters. Size matters for Warren Buffett, and we have to pay a little bit of attention to what you know he's looking for. It's harder and harder for him to find truly undervalued great businesses in which he likes to invest because he's been around a long time. And he says performance is unlikely to be as good as it was in the past. So he's saying opportunities are a little less easy, and you're going to have to work for them and or you're going to have to take more risk when you get them. So we're going to look at the size of his deals. He's very large-cap defensive-oriented, and there's nothing wrong with that. And then with Warren Buffett's letter to shareholders, and it'll be a big thing probably on Monday morning on CNBC. Becky Quick usually gets to interview him and talk about you know the weekend. He'll show up in Omaha at the uh, shareholder meeting, and he'll have like a Dairy Queen freeze and Coca-Cola. And you're like, really? You're 88 years old, maybe a glass of water or cactus juice, or whatever it is that's going to keep your veins alive and pumping. So we'll learn a little bit more about uh, Warren Buffett, and that's what I really like about these weekends. It's kind of a Super Bowl weekend if you're a financial nerd. He's considered to be the most successful investor alive today. He produced an annualized return over 54 years of 18.8%, essentially doubling the market. Um and I like. I think he's pretty colorful. I think he's good for them. I, I know. Like I said, he's a grandfather to me, and he's never met me. But I know a grandfather that did the coolest thing. He had two granddaughters, and in his hand, he'd have two five dollar bills, and he'd say, "Pick a hand," and one would win five dollars, the other would win five dollars, or he'd have two like majorly big Snicker spars, not those small fun size Snickers. And he got to be a great grandfather. That's one of the things I want to do on the show: is get you to retirement. You'll work hard. You'll put in your time and your effort, but I want you to get the reward of slowing down and spending time with your children and your children's children and being a great grandfather because you don't have to take those brats home. You get to spoil them. You get to get them sugar. You get to get them candy. You get your kids mad at you about you know taking love and care of their kids, taking them to movies, you get them jumbo popcorn that they'll spill all over themselves. This show, if I can get you to be a great grandfather, I'd be thrilled. And next up, I want to talk a little bit about Zion Williamson. Blowing out his shoe, injuring his knees. Nike. That was probably the worst commercial ever for Nike. And give, um, I want to say it was Reebok. It wasn't Reebok, but it was another big shoe company that uh, instantly tweeted out. (laughs) Our shoes never do that. So if you haven't seen the play, it's Duke University forward Zion Williamson. He's a big man. If he were in the NBA, he'd be the second biggest player in the NBA at this point in time. And he's also one of the best NBA prospects in the past decade. He looks like Larry Johnson, LeBron James. Uh, and, and during a basketball game, his shoe, his foot tears through his shoe. It's, it's disturbing to watch. And he gets a, maybe a knee injury or something like that. Um, but it goes to show you again that that's a lot of bad PR for Nike. They'll be fine. Um, you know, Adidas, can they use it to their advantage? Maybe a little bit, but Nike will be fine. Um, and it's not the first time that, you know, shoes have been blown through and it's not even something that maybe Nike can take advantage of and eventually get him to do a shoe commercial about, you know, uh, how strong his foot is and how Nike shoes are better than ever or something like that. I don't know. But what was interesting about that game this week is that Duke fans play, paid near Super Bowl 
level prices for tickets. Uh, and then the guy was out of the game in the first minute because it's big rivalry with North Carolina, which for the record, I love that real estate market. Um, not to the point like I'm thinking you're gonna get rich super fast because it's a slow moving market. But they got Duke, NC State, in North Carolina, all within four mi- uh, forty uh, five minutes of each other. That's pretty good stuff, if you're asking me. That's pretty good stuff. Anyhow, and anyway, you can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. Don't forget, I got a big event coming up. You can always sign up at Rob Black Show for it. Use the code Radio Twenty Five. Next event coming up March Twenty First in Burlingame. You can sign up for the event at Rob Black Show. Use code Radio 25. Oh, this weekend with Netflix and the Oscars. Pay attention to see if you hear Netflix or Amazon's name mentioned because Netflix is spending a ton of money to get uh, credibility and content. Will Apple follow their footsteps? Will Amazon ever really be able to kick it up to the point that they compete with Netflix? All we will find out in the future. Find me online at robblackshow.com. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black talking money, investing, and more. I like cheap stocks. I like stocks with dividends. I like gross stocks. Uh, one would say that I'm a purveyor or lover of stocks. Do I talk a lot about growth stocks? Yes. One of the reasons why is I live in growth stock, you know, nirvana, so to speak. Um, I live five miles from Facebook, five miles from Apple. It's it's pretty ridiculous. Five miles from Google, um, tech stock nirvana, right? So you kind of kind of see it a lot. When I talk stocks and investing, I kind of wanted to show you, you know, it's a fun world. It's a, a world that will like rock your brain in a happy way. Uh, when people give me books on, like, you know, this is the greatest president ever, I'm like, I'm not going to read it. And I, I feel bad, but I'm like, can you take it back or should I just give it to Goodwill? Um, I love what I do. I love the, the business of business, so to speak. Anyhow, um, some stocks that I like and I'll throw out there for you. Sometimes they're tied towards stories and sometimes they're tied towards trends and sometimes they're tied towards the demographics. So when I say, you know, I talk about a video game industry, I'm telling you that the people under 35 have the most disposable income um, that they buy on things that they, they, they think go for the experience. Whereas I'll tell you, when you're in your, you know, uh, Generation X days, you're starting to think, oh, God, I'm going to retire sooner than later. And I want to retire better than my mom and dad did. And will we or will we not? So there's a lot going on out there. And there's a lot going on in my brain. Um, stocks can be loved and they can be underloved. Um, and I think you want to try to approach both. If you've got two children and one of them's like a great athlete or one of them's a, like a great student, uh, you see the differences and you, you love them both. The same thing can be true in stocks, right? Um, as far as you know, Berkshire Hathaway uh, losing a couple billion dollars in Heinz today. One of the things I like about this time of the year is that Warren Buffett and his Berkshire Hathaway group published an annual shareholder letter. And inside that letter, one of the things that they do is they talk about what they see in the economy and the market. And uh, uh, they don't say, oh, we're going to be buying this stock. You should buy that stock. But it's pretty well written. If you haven't ever Googled it or seen it, Google Warren Buffett's annual shareholder letter. A um, lot going on. You know, um, Vanguard, we saw that Jack Bogle died in 2019. Uh, early on, 
And one of the things that I liked about Jack Bogle was he brought the cost of investing down so that companies, he didn't, he didn't do it himself, but his trend of saying you could buy an index fund or you know, eventually ETFs, and you don't have to pay $400 to own 500 stocks. You don't have to pay $400 to own two stocks. Like You're going to pay $0.40 cents on $100. Whoa, that's a pretty good deal. So Vanguard has taken in more money than any other fund company for 12 years in a row. So when you look at Amazon and you go, wow, Amazon, I, I wish I would invest in them because they're so dominant what they've been doing for such a long period of time. Same thing with Vanguard. Same thing with companies like Visa. You're looking for companies that are dominant in what they do. Or that's one of the things you should be looking at. Now, you can look at disruptors. Um, Salesforce.com and databases, online databases and situations like that, they were a disruptor long before um, they became a dominant giant. Whereas who were they disrupting? A company called Oracle. And they did a good job of it. So find things that you would look for is my advice. I don't know if that's good advice, but... Um, I don't know if you're a person who gets too emotional in it or not, but it's out there. Worthy of note, Fortnite has just announced Epic. has just announced a World Cup is finally happening this summer. And there's $30 million up for grabs. It's going to be a multi-day event. It's going to feature possibly the biggest prize pool in esports history. There's going to be $30 million up for grabs, including $3 million in it for a solo champion. In last year, there was a tournament called Dota. Dota, 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 Dota 2. And that had $25 million prize money. Now, do you see the trend there? $25 million to $30 million. That's good growth. Um, and again, I don't know how it's going to be pulled out. I don't really care. You know, the Fortnite world, to me, is uh, a world of, of I see the growth, so to speak. And I see a disruption of, of a business model. Activision, Take-Two, and Electronic Arts all had pretty miserable quarters. Even though some better than others, you know, Take Two had a better than, uh, other quarter than Activision, uh, better than expected than Electronic Arts. Electronic Arts is, is rebounded with a, a, a quick release of a battle royale game copy in Fortnite. They're going to try to move in that that direction. Uh, early word back is they're not going to produce as much money as Fortnite. Um, it's not quite as social of an, a thing, you know, when Fortnite has the dances and kind of like kind of the G-rated nature, you pull in a lot of eyeballs. And I bring that up because Fortnite and a lot of their eyeballs, they had that in-game concert not that long ago with DJ, electronic DJ Marshmallow, and they had the most eyeballs ever for an in-game concert. In-game, not not online concert, not international satellite concert. Live Aid beat it pretty, uh, you know, aggressively. Uh, but these in-game events, and like one of the things they did was they were emailing and telling the people every time they logged on, don't forget about this event, don't forget about this event. So the World Cup thing, they already have an audience where they could say, hey, watch the World Cup thing. And they can even give you V-Bucks, virtual currency for watching it. Like, we'll see where it goes. Uh, but it's going to be interesting, in my opinion, and that's one of the most exciting things out there that I have to chat about. U.S.-China trade dispute puts a chill on the American natural gas export. It's pretty interesting to see how many businesses that we have that we are now exporting. We export oil in the United States. When I was a kid, you would have thought that Saudi Arabia was going to own all of the United States and that we'd have sheiks and princes and uh, Saudi Arabian mayors. Like It didn't really 
It's interesting how we developed. The global gas market experienced fewer disruptions and feared this winter after China slapped tariffs on U.S. liquefied natural gas. And that's an area that has underperformed because the gas boom and the exports were cut. So the natural gas market is emerging from winter relatively unscathed. Um, and I see potential upside if a trade war ends. So it's, I'm putting stuff on my shopping list. Does that make sense? Is that something that you do? Um, stocks that you would really want to own or maybe sectors you would really want to own. Um, maybe if you don't like natural gas, maybe you like oil. Maybe you're a person who's like, well, we're going to be using oil and oil has, have we hit peak oil or not? I could tell you that a lot of countries want to go more and more green. So enemy of oil is solar. It shouldn't be, but in the minds of uh, investors, it kind of is. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about money, investing, and more. Gold fell off a 10-month peak after the Fed released their stance uh, this earlier this week. Um, so the Fed said they're not going to adopt as a dovish of a stance on monetary policy as previously thought. So we're paying a lot of attention to things. We're moving out of earnings season and we're moving into you know, PR announcements, right? And economic data and other things to follow. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and Your Money live on the Bay Area Airwaves, weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW and streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. Let's talk a little hedge funds. Hedge fund is an investment fund. Well, before we go into hedge funds, let's talk mutual funds. A mutual fund is a product on Wall Street that buys a lot of stocks, not necessarily a lot of stocks, but stocks, puts them in a fund, and it gives you easy access into buying a lot diversification, right? That's the idea. So mutual funds were actively managed, and you'd have a manager, and his name might have been Jean von Claude Dam, and he's had a five-year track record, a ten-year track record, and a three-year track record. You go Jean Claude Van Dam is uh, a great investor or a bad investor. He's active, and if he's great, you're going to say I pay him one one and a half percent. But then you have to pay his secretaries, you have to pay the trades, you have to pay the uh, regulatory people, you got to pay the compliance people. So sometimes active fund active fund management is not worth it especially if their track record isn't by beating the market by a lot. Why not just buy the market through a Vanguard uh, index fund, which is just indexes. He's not active. No one's actively watching it. There's not anything, you know, you don't need a director of global travel to to own an index fund. You don't need to cut the cost as a business. And then you could pass the savings on to the client. I like index funds for most people. I know it's not sexy, but so you got mutual funds, which is a collection of stocks. And there's actively managed ones with um, managers, Jean-Claude Van Damme, or you might have heard of someone like a Peter Lynch who did Fidelity Magellan. And then you get index funds, which Jack Bogle and Vanguard made famous and everyone else copied because, well, there's trillions of dollars out there and they all want the piece of that action. And then there's something called hedge funds. Now, a hedge fund is like a mutual fund that's actively managed on steroids. And because it's on steroids, it's not ideal. I remember in high school and college when I'd see some guys beef up, probably inappropriately. Uh, I know they weren't just going to you know CVS or Rite Aid and getting you know 
powder to put in their their shakes. I knew I, something was going on because they'd like start screaming rage. And steroids are bad, so but they're not bad. They can get you the results you want, but they could also bring fits of emotional instability. So hedge fund to me is you have to be an accredited investor, although. That's kind of a dicey term because I've heard commercials on both radio and TV for uh, real estate that they're looking for, you know, you to invest in an alternative product and you should be an accredited investor. An accredited investor typically means you have a million dollars of assets. means you've got enough so you can be in riskier products. A hedge fund is considered a, a riskier product, even though... They set up complex portfolio structures with risk management techniques supposed to protect you in the downside or even benefit in the downside of a market. So a hedge fund originated from the paired long and short because hedge funds can go long a stock or they can short a stock. In fact, they could do both. Like if they have a feeling that the short-term momentum on, let's say, like an Apple is negative, they can keep their long position but start shorting their long position and cover it later and buy either more shares and or not. So hedge funds are something that's kind of important because there's a lot of money going into them. For you, the average person, I don't want you to think hedge fund. For you, the average person, when your neighbor comes up to you and says, i got a great idea for a business, I don't even want you to think of that. That's an alternative way of investing. That's when you become a lender, and then you don't even know your risk-to-reward strategies more often than not. But there's $3 trillion in hedge funds. And again, I don't think most people should be in. I, I think most people don't understand it. And 2018 was a bad year. They're very expensive, because not only are you paying for active management, you're paying for high-end active management. Um, last year's stocks that were widely owned which is interesting to note um, because there's trillions of dollars in the industry. You kind of see like who are the players and you can kind of start seeing sometimes there's short-term moves and sometimes uh, short-term moves on these names. And you always wonder because I own Microsoft. I bought it 15, 20 years ago. I'll probably continue to hold it. Amazon, Apple, Facebook, Alphabet. Those are the top five most popular hedge fund holdings. Those are all pretty good long-term names in most of our minds, right? Then you see on their list United Health, Visa, JP Morgan, Chase, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, MasterCard, Netflix. So now we've gone through 12, and the only one that really stands out is like kind of dicey is Wells Fargo. Then you go into Boeing, Comcast, Coca-Cola, Adobe, Johnson Johnson. Now, of all these names that I'm throwing out there for you, they all kind of are names that you know, right? Hedge funds aren't playing around with um, some small chip company called A15 Bionic Brain or something like that. Not saying that they don't, but I'm just throwing that out there. Um, one of the things I like to do, not only to follow hedge funds and see what their kind of roster looks like, but I also like to follow billionaires because who wouldn't want to be a billionaire, right? And their investments. Uh, number three richest person in the world is Warren Buffett. Last year, he bought a lot of Apple. Now, he's recently sold it. So, if I were to tell you last year, what does that mean? It means nothing. And that's why when you look at Microsoft or Amazon or Google or Apple, past performance doesn't equal future guarantees, future results in any way, shape. Nothing can be guaranteed. Nothing. When you give your money to someone in an account or hand it over or in a hedge fund or in an index fund, nothing can be guaranteed in the short term. You can look at the longer term and get some comfort. 
because index funds have made money over time and mutual funds have made money over time and the market has done well over time. And, you know, I'm saying on one hand, past performance, not indicative of future results. But on the other hand, I, I could say, don't get all like, oh, I don't like Trump because, well, the world didn't like Hitler and the market got over it. You know, the world didn't like Paul Pot and the world got over it. I'm not comparing Trump to Hitler or Paul Pot. Um, just throwing that out there. But World War One, World War Two, uh, Nagasaki, Hiroshima, um, oil spikes up to 150. The world, uh, the world doesn't like a lot, but it doesn't stop the stock market from going forward and capitalism from figuring it out. So the top three holdings over at Berkshire Hathaway last year was Apple, Bank of America, and Wells Fargo. The biggest buy was J.P. Morgan Chase. Now he's a billionaire, and like I said, I'll pay attention. It doesn't mean I'll do it. And then I'll like George Soros. He's the 190th richest person now. Buffett number three. Um, Soros, his top three holdings: Liberty Media, Vicky Properties, and Caesar's Entertainment. Uh, he sold a lot of Tribune last year. He bought a lot of Philip Morris. I gotta imagine with those holdings. He had a pretty rough year. Now, again, he's got a track record of winning. Then you get into like my one of my favorite investors, a guy named David Tepper. Uh, I believe he owns the Carolina Panthers now. <laughs> like, and he didn't buy them when he was 20. He bought them last year. Um, so he's got the money to pay big bucks. Um, his top three holdings, Micron, Facebook, and Altababa. Uh, so he's got a big play on social media and then Micron Technology. It's, everyone predicts the death of DRAM. Everyone predicts the death of uh, hard drives. Everyone predicts the death of, and sometimes there's a lot of value in those tech companies. But again, I do pay attention to like a Julian Robertson or a David Einhorn or a Bill Ackman or a Nelson Peltz. Um, I want to see what sectors are being bought. I want to see how the S&P 500 um, does in comparison. So I do a lot of homework. A lot of it's very, very passive. Like I don't read, you know, uh, research reports of another analyst and have them say, "Here's my top ten stocks," and I go, "Well, I'm going to buy all ten of those." You can't do stuff like that. That'll get you into trouble. So anyway, um, those are some of the highlights, in my opinion, of of talking about hedge funds and what we can learn. And there's no shame in looking at something like a Warren Buffett or a Ray Dalio or David Tepper. Um, Again, that's my opinion. Consult broker advisor for taking action on any stocks ever mentioned on this show, but you get where I'm trying to go at with this. Interesting. Just showing you how much I love you and I want you to do invest and I want your kids to invest. Pizza. Pizza, pizza. Um, and again, this is not investment. Don't go consult broker advisor for taking action on any stocks mentioned. But Papa John's is struggling to match the price wars in pizza. You can invest in Pizza Hut. You can invest in Papa John's. You can invest in Domino's. And for a 10-year period, I want to say 2005 to 2015, Domino's was the number one company in the S&P 500. It wasn't Facebook. It wasn't Apple. It wasn't like you would imagine all those big names, right? Pizza. We went through a couple recessions, and pizza is pretty recession-proof especially fast food pizza. Papa John's shares tumbled last July after they got into a problem with their CEO, literally John Shatner, the guy who is Papa John's in the commercial, got caught with a racist comment. Oh, my, my, my. 
if we could all go back and erase all the dumb things we did, not a fun world to live in, but some things we regret, right? Uh, so Papa John's is kind of struggling right now. Now, again, you could say, well, maybe that's my investment. Maybe my, that's my way in. So Domino's has a five ninety nine mixed match deal. Pizza Hut's got a $5 lineup. Little Caesars has got a $5 hot and ready. Like there's enough going on out there that like there's not a lot of money in it. So you make it up by volume, volume, volume. And that's the way Domino's has made it up of volume, volume, volume. Pizza Hut's got these legacy stores that just were horrible experiences, and they're trying to revamp it, and they took over the NFL sponsorship for Papa John's. So you can make a case for how you want to invest, or you can buy all three. Or you could say, I'm going to own McDonald's versus owning pizza. Or you could say, I'm going to own Chipotle as rebound versus owning McDonald's as a steady. You get the idea. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. And more. A lot of the show has been dedicated to trying to, like, get our eyeballs all adjusted at the same light levels when it comes to investing. In large part, I think that's kind of important um, that you know what you know the world that you're in. Um, one of the areas that I love recently was one CEO, an older CEO, criticized a younger CEO. And we all know the jokes about two bulls who go up on a hill, a big bull and a baby bull, and you know they talk about all the uh, female cows down in the field and it's kind of adult language, right? So when you get an adult CEO, someone who's 60 plus talking about someone who's under 40, it, it or, you know, kind of a newer type of CEO, Mark Zuckerberg has caught a lot of flack for just not being good at what he does as a CEO. Maybe he came up with a concept, maybe he didn't, maybe he's opened and done some acquisitions that were genius, but a lot of people are just criticizing him now. And that kind of statement comes back to haunt you in 2018, the horrible year that Facebook had. But let's flip the page. Let's take a look at another CEO who's gotten himself into enough hot water. And a big CEO is uh, calling him out on it. Tesla, obviously, is who we're talking on, and Elon Musk. So one of the biggest CEOs out there, he's head of the largest U.S. auto dealer chain. He's knocking Elon and saying he's almost unethical. What's that mean, almost unethical? You're either ethical or not. And he doesn't like the way... Musk is going out there and talking about how by the end of this year, self-driving technology will be in place at Tesla. You just have to wait for the regulators to approve it. That's kind of a bold statement that we don't know if that's true or false. And we don't know if we need to be investing on that concept or not. Obviously, Elon Musk thinks that you know that's a, a killer feature. Whereas some people may say, I'm going to wait a little bit. I'm going to wait for the FCC. I'm going to wait for the SEC. I'm going to wait for some government regulation group to say that it's it's good. So the CEO of AutoNation, Mike, ja- Mike uh, Jackson, says that it seems almost impossible to have that self-driving, fully functional car by the end of this year. So he says, I think he's over-promising on autonomous vehicles in almost an ethical way, which brings the question, what type of CEO do you want? Someone a little bit on the boring side, cautious, or someone a little bit more willing to take chances? And again, it's something that you should know and have a feeling about with companies that you own. Um, I think under you know Bob Iger, how did Disney do? And he has if he has that track record where you think like, I feel like they got bigger. That's at least a flag. That's a good thing, right? 
so you got to build enough of a, a, a case. And I, I think success or failure starts at the top, not necessarily just the coach, you know, not necessarily the CEO, but sometimes it's the chairman. Sometimes it's the, the group. I was reading an article about one of the Yankees uh, starting spring training and he goes, I never really want to leave this organization because I've seen what other organizations are like to play for. Same thing is happening in the world of technology and investing. Google is having a problem with employees um, and their happiness. And one of the things that they said was, you know, okay, we hear you. And they're going to cut the use of arbitration if you decide to sue the company for sexual harassment or other issues. Uh, arbitration keeps it out of the news. It keeps it out of the headlines. It keeps it out of the courts. That's out there. Warren Buffett's having a bad day, losing $4 billion in a single day on Kraft Heinz Plunge. And again, that's a blue chip company. Been around since, I mean, World War One, right? Uh, mac and cheese probably kills more people per year than Philip Morris and Altria cigarettes. I don't know if that's true or false. It's a, how shall we say, a baited statement. <laughs> it's a, but I'm, if I say it enough, people will make it truth, right? 95-year-old billionaire Charlie Munger. The secret to a long and happy life is so simple, according to him. And it is. And it is. <sighs> He's not going to die on me. Um, I don't know. Charlie Munger's a weird-looking dude. But I do like him because he's tied to Warren Buffett. Um, he says, don't have a lot of envy. Don't have a lot of resentment. Don't overspend your income. Stay cheerful in spite of your problems. Now, this is what's going to make you sick. Deal with reliable people. These are all secrets to making your life happier, right? Um, he's got $1.7 billion. He's a $1.7 billion heir. $1.7 billion heir. And he's giving me advice about don't have a lot of envy. Sorry, I'm envious of your $1.7 billion. It's more than mine. Your mountain's bigger than my mountain. Don't have a lot of resentment. I wish I was born Robert Munger, your brother, and I had a chance to like knock you off as a kid and take over your brain. Uh, it didn't happen. So stay cheerful. <laughs> I don't know the premise of uh, Friends, but it was kind of like these people who are always unhappy. I'm one of those. I'm not a stay cheerful kind of guy. Although I do admire people who can act that way. Notice I use the word act because I'm insulting you. Google is now saying that your Google searches can be used to predict when you're going to go to the emergency room. And it's a, it's a research report that's out there, and I find it kind of interesting. And it's really showing us where um, artificial intelligence should go and could go. And 2019-2020 uh, is supposed to be a big year of telemedicine. And you start tying in telemedicine, you know, getting on a video chat with your doctor, and then tying in your Google searches. Hey, can I see your Google search? It's not going to work like that. But um, it's out there. I'll tell you what, anytime there's something funky on my body, do I go and search it? Yes, I do. And you're saying, please don't talk about stuff that's funky on your body anymore. I will not. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. You can find me online at Rob Black Show. It's robblackshow.com. I always have an event coming up, uh, typically one every two months. As long as I continue to do this, I'll continue to do the meet and greets and hellos. But it's going to be a retirement income and tax planning seminar on March 21st in Burlingame. You can sign up at robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com. 
Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.